Hey, this is Adam Green, creator of the Hatchet franchise and the TV show Holliston, and you are listening to Nightmare Junkhead. consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from this is the nightmare junkhead podcast a horror podcast that laments the loss of both chess king and merry-go-round goody don't got it my name is greg d i'm genius mcgee and on today's episode uh, we're heading to the mall with absolutely no shopping agenda as we continue into the mouth of march madness and travel back 30 years to talk the horror classics from our 1993 bracket. And whether you've pondered hair plugs or not, you can listen into our show. Simply search for Nightmare Junkhead wherever podcasts are played. Hit subscribe, and when we drop our latest episode, it will download directly to your listening device of choice. All up in your egg hole. And if you would like to know exactly what we're doing on social media, <laughs> thank you, genius, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Nightmare Junk and on Facebook at Nightmare Junkhead. And it is on that book of face where we have an events tab, which leads to shenanigans and biscuity shenanigans. And as this episode is releasing on Monday, March 13th, if you find yourself in the Kansas City area, head on over to Screenland.com where we'll have your biscuity shenanigans taken care of indoors and virtually. Woo! Truly the madness. (laughs) Now we can talk about Ides. March, <laughs> whatever you would like, Genius McGee. It's your open now. <laughs> and technically, we are recording so far in advance that the madness has set in on us, literally. But we are recording so far in advance that we do not know yet what will be playing no. on Friday's Friday Night Fright. No. But if you do go to screenland.com, if you do follow us on any of the social medias... We got you. We got you. You're going to know exactly what we will be taking in. Come Friday, we got you. And of course, all the other repertory screenings, all the good stuff, Screenland.com. Uh, join their film family, Patreon.com slash Screenland. Not even going to go to there yet. But the most important thing is, of course, following us on all social media because... How are you going to play along? Get the bracket. Indeed get to the bracket. And mm. what's... Again, with the madness and everything that is happening here, it helps keeping shit in order and straight. You're not kidding, and honestly, I think I, honest biscuit, you do have a presence. Yeah. If I can throw that in there, I think the further we get you guys away, the better it is. <laughs> That's when the true synergy happens there. But he's too distract. He's lovingly distracting, <laughs> and that's okay. And you know what? I was distracted by many of things. Back in 1993. Yes. Do you, Genius McGee, remember where you were and who you were back in 1993? I would have been about 15 years old. I would have been unhinged. I would have been dumb genius, young genius, crazy genius, hormonal genius. That's what I was waiting for. 
a young genius be- ready to become a- on the blossoming, right? To become a man, right? Right. <laughs> and <laughs> in '93, I was a junior. I was just about to disco to di- disco. I was about to discover and go from all metal into ska, which led me into uh-huh, jazz. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I was picking it up. I was picking up more things in 1993. Yeah. I was kind of blossoming beyond my mullet that I shed for, it was the style at the time, hair parted down the middle, and then you'd shave underneath it so you could have like that little ponytail in the back. Yeah. I was one of those guys. See, about 93, like this was starting to come in. Are you kidding me? No. So at, at 15, you could have probably gone in and like, Purchase liquor? No, because I it was you weren't that guy. It was scraggly, okay. just like bing, bing, boom, 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 coming out, you know. But then when I was about sixteen, it started coming out a little bit more. Seven by by the time I was eighteen, it was like it not was, quite full and luxurious as it is now, but it was definitely there. I could, it was like, established. I could absolutely go in and buy liquor by the time I was seventeen. So. That's fair. That's fair. I, well, and it's funny, though, looking back in terms of my movie taste at the time, I didn't really start delving into the horror world until around my junior year. And it was the year of 1993, I specifically remember, because my junior year in an English class, I wrote a paper comparing myself to Ash in Evil Dead 2. And the only reason was because I was going through a lot with my mom at the time, and I felt like I was just being just beaten upon kind of like ash and evil dead 2 so i drew the comparison and i just found myself getting lost into it and then going further into if i'm being honest horror scared me as a kid and i kind of stayed away from a lot of it growing up i was mostly action fantasy and like uh sci-fi but i know you oh yeah just were constantly a lot yeah 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 so like I was really six. Yeah, so I was really getting my horror legs back in 1993. So to go back to this year and revisit all of these movies, I only saw one of them in the theater. Yeah. You though, I am I know saw multiple ones. Oh, I know I've seen at least 3 in the theater mm-hmm. and I've seen at least the other ones when they've come out. So Yeah, it's it's one of those that is a wealth of riches and it leads us to our first matchup in the year of 1993. Now, here in the first round, as you know, we don't just throw out any old answer about who's going to advance to the next round. Mm -mm. As you know, so many years established here into the Mouth of March Madness, we take a holistic approach to how we break things down. We first ask, which of the two films is closer to the heart? Closer to the heart. Last time I had something that closer to the heart, I had to have it removed. But that was the fun part. Wow, I like the direction this has now gone. I appreciate that. (laughs) And then from the heart to the head, we pair each of these films based on a bracket topic, and then you have to figure out which best fits the description of the topic. Mm -hmm. And our first matchup, Genius McGee, Yes, is... We we often talk in the world of genre. You will have themes that hit, and then you have multiple movies of that theme in the same year. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can look at Deep Star Six and Leviathan, uh, Volcano and Dante's Peak. It 
goes outside of horror into genre. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of wonderful because you get a wealth of riches. And any year that you can get two giant killer dinosaur movies. Right. That's a pretty good year, are we Are we correct? Yeah, we are absolutely correct, especially if you're a fan of dinosaurs. And who isn't? Dinosaurs are cool. Dinosaurs have always been cool. Dinosaurs are gateway horror. Mm-hmm. Because I guarantee you, the first film in our matchup, in fact, the bracket topic itself is simply... Dino Crisis. And the first one that we're going to talk... Well, let's just say, the film... It's... This is the toughest one to talk about because this is that bracket topic where it's the pink dinosaur in the room mm-hmm. because we have Jurassic Park going up against Carnosaur. Yeah. And which one do we start with? Well, as we justified it in the selection episode, let's go ahead and knock it out. It's fucking horror. Let's do Jurassic Park. Okay. So not only did I see this one in the theater, Genius McGee. Uh-huh. There is somewhere on VHS tape existence of me bragging on tape, saying, yeah, I don't know, I've seen Jurassic Park about six times in the theater so far, and... Nerd! As people drive by and walk around, no, no, they're probably waiting in line and watch it again with you. I know, I saw it multiple times in the theater. Everyone saw this film. This was the dinosaur movie that you saw in the movie theaters. This is the movie that made you remember why Steven Spielberg is just that sneaky filmmaker because mm-hmm. oh it's not horror it's Steven Spielberg fuck you it's horror he... it's creature feature it's scary as fuck and it's still scary as fuck well it's 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 100% Scott Atkins it's <laughs> it's one of those that has become a staple on cable mm-hmm. and I've actually I've hosted a couple of repertory screenings mm-hmm. uh, especially like the draft house and through that magical combination of collaboration, because life uh, finds a way from the cast to the crew, because you have Dean Cundy shooting this movie, of course, which I just love the fact, <laughs> of course, that the man that gave that shot this and Back to the Future. If you need beautiful scenic shots, establishing shots in the glory of nature, and if you need shots that will absolutely shit your pants. Scary, because how intense they are, and scary, and beautiful at the same time. Except no substitutes than Dean Cundy. Oh my god, so good. And then when you have John Williams providing a score Mm -hmm. that, when you... That theme, it's iconic. You have Sam Neill, Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum, Samuel L. Jackson... You've got motherfucking Samuel and Samuel L. Jackson holding on to your butts, Samuel L. Jackson. Yes, you got everything. And you know what? Fucking Sam Neill in this one is wonderful, and he is like both violent and charming in his piercing blue eyes. It's- I would trust him on a jungle trek. There was a scene. There was a part in the movie because it's been a minute since I rewatched this until like for this show, and when he turns around, he goes, uh, "It's when the uh, guy gets eaten by the." Uh, t-rex while he's on the toilet mm-hmm. and he's like and she's like he left me he left, he left his left because he did but i won't i'm not gonna do that mm-hmm. and i was like i will follow you through this jungle i will trust you anywhere even if you sit in a rocking chair and go back and forth sir your your eyes just gave that yes sir just dreaming just just p- 
piercing blue eyes. And I do love the fact that there is a large number of people now being exposed to possession thanks to <laughs> Shudder. <laughs> and it's so many of those same people that whose probably first exposure to Sam Neill was Jurassic Park. Yes, and he has been oh, always been seeped in genre. Yeah. And this could be considered gateway horror. Absolutely gateway in horror. In a lot of ways. Absolutely gateway horror because it's sneaky surprise gateway, which was what Spielberg was does good. best. Like Duel, 100% oh, yeah. horror. Oh, yeah. Jaws, 100% horror. This movie, 100% horror. But that and Jaws, it's a creature feature. Mm-hmm. It's 100%. So absolutely, these kids nowadays are going to see these dinosaurs run amok. Well, look how many kids... Look how many kids back when we were growing up, younger than us, seeing Jurassic Park and then going around buying the merchandising and the first thing they do is they make the dinosaurs attack the people. It's totally gateway horror. It's 100% gateway horror. They don't go, oh, look, it's a dinosaur zoo. Do, 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 do. They go, no raptors. You know, so. And then when you have Stan Winston creating these creatures. And that's the thing. It's This is a wonderful example of both a great use and the mending a blending of practical and cgi Mm -hmm. but yet the practical also always outshining the cgi because some of those raptor up in your face shots the moment that got me the first time i watched it and it got me again is that shot of the t-rex when it initially breaks through the glass mm-hmm. and the teeth and everything that is real, it oh, is yeah. scary. It's terrifying. Oh, it got me. That whole, the entire T-Rex scene in the jungle is so intense and scary oh, from get to end. And it doesn't stop until the car comes careening down the thing. It's so masterfully tense. I think I held my breath the entire time, especially at that raw, 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 raw part. And much like, <laughs> when, much like the thing, the jump scare and the thing with the blood test, mm-hmm. no matter how many times I've seen that, it always fucking gets me. Same thing with this movie. No matter how many times I've seen this movie, every time they're climbing up into the vents, the vents. and the raptors come right behind and jump, fuck, it just gets me every time because it feels like they're about to fucking bite my feet and my feet go up every fucking time. Spielberg is a master at horror and i wish he go does it more often mm-hmm. he needs to do he needs to go full on like cronenberg land i would love it well what's great is i'd love to see him like win a number of oscars for the fablemans and then his very next film be some sort of like hardcore body horror film or the, steven spielberg presents the remake of madman <laughs> you know what this hop tub scene alone would be worth it right. i would check it out i would check it out. i would go to camp for that one uh but no i think this truly shows just the power of collaboration and what you can achieve in so many different ways and still provide something that is scary then is scary now entertained then entertains entertains. now and also it shows the law of diminishing returns Mm. i mean this is a prime example and this if for those of like oh this is not a horror movie oh yeah oh yeah look at look at look at this movie look at this look at this downward spiral that's that's going on this is this not not all the time there's a lot of exceptions to the rule but one of the horror troops is the first one is usually the best one and then the sequels start they're still favorites you know absolutely absolutely but I'll be honest, I've it's and I've seen that for the second. 
Uh, I did see the third in the theater, and then ever since then has been really hit and miss. The last two are the only I've seen that. The other one's all I've seen in the theater. Okay. So, um, but no. Which is to say, though, I still have a pretty strong relationship with this movie. Well, of course, it's still reveling in pop culture. Clever gal. You know? And, like, um, the meme of Newman going, see, nobody cares. Anytime somebody Dawson. says something stupid on the internet, next thing you know, you see, <laughs> insert X here, Newman lives forever, nobody cares meme. So, yeah. No, it's still reveling, more so than the other movies. There's not a lot of other memes about uh, any of the other two. And look, it's got Jeff Goldblum. Look, people are people are like like fanning out over Jeff Goldblum now. Look, sexy Jeff Goldblum, that comes from this movie. So... It's great. Jeff Goldblum running standing in front of a big old pile of shit. That comes from this movie. None of that happened. There's no memes from that one. The only yeah. thing that talks about in any of the newer movies is how bad Chris Pratt is and Bryce Howard's ass. Leave her alone. She's wonderful. Don't Photoshop her. She is perfect the way she fucking is. But uh, Good director as well. Exactly. Good director, good actors, good everything. Don't well, talk shit on Bryce Dallas Howard. It's funny because, you know, I've... Seen this film in the theater, you know, seen it so many different, so many more times since then. This rewatch was great. It was wonderful. And going just a few months before, turns out there was another film featuring a killer dinosaur, featuring some science gone wrong, mm -hmm. a lot of similar themes, but maybe with a tinier budget. Uh, 1993's Carnosaur. Two, two master directors, well, producers. And this is where we have Roger Corman. And that's all you have to say. That's all you need. It's all you need. He is an institution amongst himself. You already have an idea. And amongst Hollywood, even though he doesn't get the respect that he deserves, a lot of people will turn their nose at Roger Corman movies. But look how much riches came from the forest of Corman. Scorsese, uh, Jonathan Demi, all of these cats. I mean, uh, who else? No, uh, Dante, I Ron mean, Howard. Yeah. Therefore, Clint Howard. Right. Who shows up in this very film? And this God was God bless the Howards. This was. Oh, a, this is a very Howard-friendly bracket. It is. It's all in the family. It's yeah. in their film family. And this was actually in a first-time viewing for me. And I had some baggage. Yeah. Going into this movie now, because I saw this when it came out on VHS. Because when it, I was like, "All right, cool," I was I loved Blockbuster. Mm -hmm. I, when you're 15 years old, you, there's not a lot of options other than making it into Blockbuster night on Friday nights. So, cool, Dalsy Carnosaur one. Cool. I remember enjoying it, but this was almost this was almost like a uh, new rewatch because it's been a long time maybe since then since I've seen it I'm more familiar with like 2 and I'm not even that familiar with it so I remember enjoying it so what was your first take on this movie cuz this one was wild so I knew it was a Roger Corman film yeah I knew the title Carnosaur, Carnosaur. and for some odd reason Genius McGee <laughs> I was confused I was confounded for probably the first 20 minutes of the movie, <laughs> because I was anticipated a car and a dinosaur to somehow come together because... Like it's, a truckosaurus. Yes, like a turbo team. <laughs> but 
but in a pterodactyl form of some sort. And I was really, I was off because... That's not this movie at all. Yeah, not carnivore. None. None of it. <laughs> Carnosaur. Like, like fucking the Dinobots? I was anticipating something <laughs> like that. And what I got was a wonderful discovery. Yeah. Because of all, first and foremost, the, my Rick Dalton moments. I think our Rick Dalton moments. Yes. Clint Howard showing up, mm-hmm. which was... Such a nice surprise. Because we're looking at the credits. Clint Howard. Clint Howard and Diane Lane. Diane Ladd. 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 Not another it. time. <laughs> right? Another place. No, Diane Ladd. Carnosaur is going nowhere fast. Diane Ladd in this movie. Can you imagine that 18-foot T-Rex wearing the rubber leader hosing? <laughs> Coming out of the shadows. Give him the Dean Cundy lighting. It'll, Dean Cundy lighting. It'll work. <laughs> no, but when you add... Diane Ladd to this movie as basically kind of our, in comparison to Jurassic Park, John Hammond, mm-hmm. it just adds this level of, whoa, that's kind of great. One know? for the power of good of humanity's sake, like to give people something for the world, and then two, one to destroy it. Well, and of the things that when you look at, we have Stan Winston creating mm-hmm. the special effects in Jurassic Park in here. We get the late great John Carl Beekler, which that was another nice little mm-hmm. like Rick Dalton moment because he is one of those cats that if you give him a lower budget, he can still create some incredibly charming, yeah, and gruesomely gory practical effects. And that's full on display. And so many different levels of them as well. Because honestly, there's no it's apples and oranges when it comes to the dinosaur effects for Jurassic oh, Park yeah. to this one. However, the what they make up in budget, they add up in charm and fucking gore and brutality. A lot this, of viscera in this, this one. movie is wonderfully gory, way more gory than Jurassic Park, way there's, more carnage than Jurassic Park. There's moments in this movie that had my jaw hitting the floor of things that I was not expecting to go into this film. Again, I'm still reco- I'm having. Whiplash you, you, from not getting any car action. Right, you're over here th- waiting for Truckosaurus. The last thing you're expecting is humans laying eggs, it was laying un- ostrich eggs, dinosaur ostrich eggs. It was unreal. The journey I was taking because it's not really played for laughs. Mm-mm. It's played really straight, and it's so much more straighter than I anticipated because of the Corman connection that we have. I was so weird to have that experience, and it was. Like I said, it was it was a good viewing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you go from um, John Williams' score to this one here, which is again Charles Brandian, very very much Charles Brandian. Uh, but it's basically, would you consider this the Coke versus the Pepsi debate, or like the Coke versus the RC? This is the Coke versus the RC, absolutely, because it's not Coke versus Pepsi. If it was like Coke versus Pepsi, it would be like a big budget mockbuster, mm-hmm. or it would be like another version of this. This is like, this is almost Coke versus like root beer. This is like Coke versus, this is Coke versus, <laughs> Coke versus like a whole different sort of kind of the same flavor, but mm-hmm. yeah, no, it's got dinosaurs. And here's the thing, though. It's about science. RC 
pairs really well with barbecue here. Yes, we're going to get does. regional. Yes, it which does. means there's always room for RC. There's always room for Marcola. And there's always room for killer dinosaur movies. Absolutely. Now that being said, uh, there's only room for one killer dinosaur film that's going to go into the round of the Scream 16. So, uh, of the first two bits of our criteria, I'm going to ask you, genius, Jurassic Park or Connoisseur, uh, which is the uh, which of the two is closer to your heart? So I remember vividly going to the theater, being excited for Jurassic Park, seeing it so many times in the theater. And I also remember going and seeing, hey, let's make it a blockbuster night with a couple of dinosaur movies. But the excitement and the memories of the theater and all that good stuff that I had, I have to get for closer to the heart. I have to get for Jurassic Park. That is fair. That is fair. And this is tough for me since... I'm just watching Carnosaur for the first time, and I've seen Jurassic Park so many times. I'm going to come back to Carnosaur because the, the hippie lunch down that happened there, it's classic. Thrush. A lot, just a lot of weird stuff How there. It but ends in a downer. Very much a downer. But what doesn't end on a downer is Jurassic Park. And again, somewhere out there on VHS, I am just this little nerdlinger talking about how many times I've seen it. My vote for Closer to the Heart is Jurassic Park as well. Now, that being said, from the heart to the head, our bracket topic is Dino Crisis. Now, this could be interpreted a number of different ways. So, uh, Genius, how are you breaking this one down here? So, if dinosaurs escaped off an island off the coast of Rica, mm-hmm. right, that would be terrible. In fact, it would be an absolute bad crisis for everybody on that island. If they even got out in the rest of the world and started breeding, it would be bad news for all of us, just dinosaurs rolling around. But I also have enjoyed the book uh, Dinotopia, where humans and dinosaurs can coexist, right? And so I think that would be kind of cool. I don't think that would be a crisis at all. It would be kind of fun. Now, on the flip side, there's a dino apocalypse, yeah. But people, like, the extinction of human race via biological pandemic that causes women to lay and produce dinosaur eggs that then in turn creates dinosaurs that eats then the male population effectively destroying the human race that seems a bit more of a crisis to me than a bunch of fucking dinosaurs escaping a zoo so i'm gonna for my vote for dino crisis i'm gonna have to go carnosaur such a little sinister plot that she is hatching. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Now, I'm actually, the Dino Crisis actually invoked the thought of the video game to me. Mm-hmm. Now, I've never played the game, but I remember the cover of it very vividly. It's Resident Evil with dinosaurs. That's what I heard. And I also do distinctly remember a little game called Turok the Dinosaur Hunter, uh-huh. which I did play. Me too. Quite a bit. Me too. And... The strongest vibe I get between Jurassic Park and Connorsaur with Turok is, you know, Clava Girl. He is oh, yeah. iconic. Murdoch, yeah. He's, he's wonderful. Up. And because of that, Jurassic Park is going to get my vote. And I guess stomping its way into the round of the Scream 16, there goes Jurassic Park. Well, you know, I think Roger Corbin said it best. You know, if if you're going to only see one killer dinosaur movie that year, see Jurassic Park. But if you can see two, see Tarnosaur. I absolutely, if this, not saying if this was another day, it might change. Honestly, Jurassic Park, it's it's Jurassic Park. But 
if you haven't seen Carnosaur, fucking go see Carnosaur. Well worth your it's a pleasant, pleasant surprise. And because of the beauty of the internet, seek out. There is a Connie Chung uh, review of the film, basically. She does this incredible checklist. Probably better than we did. <laughs> and guess who dug it? Yeah. Siskel. Siskel dug Carnosaur. He was like a secret fan. So he probably like, love has given. a poster hidden. He's got a clo- I bet you he had a closet of shame with like memorabilia and posters of all the movies that he shouldn't like, mm-hmm. but he does. I bet he has like an actual sign like Buchler prop, you know, from it. Well, let's see here. That goes. So I guess technically then, going from dinosaurs to our next topic, and we're getting getting a lot of Stephen King in this year's tournament, which mm-hmm. is always a good thing. Mm-hmm. And when looking at these two films, there was a number of ways we could break them down. But honestly, uh, we're a fan of puns. We're a fan of rhythm. So the next bracket topic is King of Castle Rock. King of Castle Rock. As we are taking a look at both Needful Things and The Dark Half, both set in Castle Rock, uh-huh. both involving two sheriff characters of the same name, mm-hmm. but couldn't be two totally different films no. apart from each other, no. uh, and also both TBS staples. Uh-huh. Which one do we delve into first? Let's do Dark Half. So Let, Let's do George Romero's Malignant. Man, oh, man, is it not? Yeah. Man, oh, man, was this such a nice first time viewing for me. Me too. And the problem is, though, I saw so many bits and pieces of it on TBS. I could have seen, I could have, I seen my way bullshitted through it. Not a problem. Not a problem. But upon this watch, woo! Oh, yeah. I could have bullshitted my way, but now I... (laughs) Appreciate it so much more mm-hmm. as number one, a shining example of what Romero can do mm-hmm. outside of the zombie verse. Uh, what happens when he gets to collaborate with King? Well, here's the thing: no, my, as much as I love, love, love Romero's zombie movies, I mean he's the king of zombies, right? I think he really shines best when he leaves that world. You know, go back to our very first Into the Mouth of March Madness tournament. With Martin. Martin. Fucking look at Shutter Shout Out with Monkey Shines. Let us not look at Amusement Park again. No, let's not. That's haunting. That is hauntingly stuck with me. Romero has just such this really cool, rich tapestry. Mm-hmm. And it's when you get to allow him to be set forth in a Stephen King verse in Castle Rock, which is just that Stephen King's little playground. It's his right. play box. So you have... A wonderful cast of character actors in this movie, mm-hmm. of which we're going to talk a lot about yes. in this in this particular uh, bracket. And I think my first Rick Dalton moment was number one, Michael Rooker as our sheriff. Right. I'm like, I, is he a bad sheriff? Is, is he, he the Clancy Brown sheriff? That is the assumption. But then also we have not Diane Lane, but Amy, Amy Madigan. And I'm like, whoa, another time, another place. And uh, just so many other folks showing up in this one. And then Timothy Hutton. Timothy Hutton doing, performing at a next level to the point, I know I went to the IMDBA. Oh, exactly. Assuming. 
when he comes out, when he comes out as George Steele, I'm like, who the George fuck is that? George Stark. George Stark. I'm like, who the fuck is that, dude? Is that Andrew Dividoff? I'm like, what is coming out? He looks like Marv from fucking Sin City. That's not Timothy Hutton. I went to look at IMDb. I'm like, holy shit, that is Timothy Hutton. Fucking ordinary people, my ass, man. That's that's crazy. He did a great job of playing two different people and just with the looks, the mannerisms, yep. the speech. I mean, it was it was really well done. And his his transformation into George Stark and his eventual like degradation yeah, and how he just starts falling apart. The practical effects in this movie is another one. It's just a shining example Mm -hmm. of what was going on in the nineties. So many good horror movies in the nineties. And again, being at the first time I saw this film, the bird violence in this movie is uh, next like level uh, to uh, play Very well with much opera. like opera, and then it had Royal Dano. I love Royal Dano, character actor. He, I had he, a feeling you would have. I was like, ah, it's Royal Dano when he showed up. I was, I was waiting. He needed to team up with Kevin McCarthy to do some shit with Buck Flower, just like a big, wonderful, crazy old man brigade. Um, no, um. Then speaking of other character actors and the Romero connection, it was the guy from Land of the Dead. Yeah, he is all. Over yes. this tournament, inadvertently, we right. should we didn't realize that connection. No, he is everywhere, and it's wonderful. And he dies gruesomely to get his dick ripped off and shoved in his mouth because he's a stoolie, old school. And the great fact is, the two grizzled Chicago cops they bust in, they're like, Bleh, right, two and, newbies, and the the salty vet of the landlord is like, eh. That's what he was working with. And I'm like, God damn. That's, it's, again, Romero is like, funny. Oh, yeah. He's funny, and he knows how to scare. Because I think we, we mentioned it off screen. There is a jump scare that got me really, really good in this one. I audibly yelped. I'm not afraid to admit it. I went, shit. Like, <laughs> and I think also in the same breath, I was like, good. For, again, this is why I love Romero. This is why. I'm so happy to be taking this in for the first time and enjoying the shit out of this movie. And then he had the Viper joke. The Viper? The Viper. I'm the Viper. I'm here to vibe the window. Well, <laughs> it gave me a giggle. This so I was pleasantly, pleasantly surprised at this one. Well, and this also received a Scream Factory Blu-ray release. And uh, they're, apparently, according to the commentary, uh, Timothy Hutton's performance Kind of came at a price. I guess he was a little he prickly on the set. They did not like each yeah. other. Him and Romero did not work well. But on screen, what we get is pretty magical. My only, like, not beef, but I wish they did a little bit more with the character of Reggie. Because Reggie, Reggie was, was rad. rad. Reggie she was, was she, fucking yes, dope. That was... I wish she had adventures where she went around solving supernatural mysteries. Like she was the new Kolchak or something. You know? That would have been fucking rad because Reggie is cool as shit. And I'm not shocked in a Stephen King script and character that you do have those really cool off-the-side characters that in you... In touch with the paranormal. Yeah, but then also that they just exist within their own universe. Like, yeah. guaranteed, Reggie has her own adventures going on. Somewhere in the Stephen King world. She probably fought vampires in Jerusalem's a lot. Exactly. Or she's probably helped investigate some disappearance of kids in Derry. You know? So, like, yeah. I heard there's this dog down over there messing up people. I could need to go investigate. What about this car I heard about? And not that I'm looking too far into advance, but... But if we get her and Creighton Duke together, then we got the magic connection. Mm. So needless to say, 
I think I enjoyed the dark half for the first time. Me too. Well, then going on to our other film here, a movie I didn't see in the theater. I wish I did. Okay. I saw it many, many, many times front to back on TBS. It was the perfect Sunday afternoon movie that you would start at like 1 o'clock, and it wouldn't end until like 4 or 5. Right. It was a long one. They could stretch it out. Mm -hmm. So this was probably the first time I actually watched it not on TBS for the first time in 30 years. Same. Same. And taking it in for the first time, not on TBS for the first time in 30 years, this one was magical. This one was great. Because this one was great. I don't want, well, yeah, I do want to compare the cast in here because. We have to. We have Ed Harris uh-huh. playing. Don't let go. Baggage. Uh-huh. Playing the same character as the Rook, which is. We'll go to that Again, later. the connective tissue. But I think pound for pound, if we are looking at the cast of character actors, I've got to give it for needful things. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, J.T. Walsh. You, you throw J.T. Walsh into anything, you're making it ten times better than it has any right to be. Mm-hmm. You throw in, could, <laughs> I, and again, we love, and again, we're going to talk about professional ghouls down the line, but would Amanda Plummer be in Calling All Creeps? Yeah, she'd be one of the creeps' girl. Okay. She's, she wants, she's the creep squeeze. <laughs> you get Amanda Plummer. Playing Nettie. Every time you see Amanda Plummer, I'm like, oh, shit, she's going to play somebody crazy. That's her bread and butter. So I married she's, an MX murderer. Like Carol Kane of, like, <laughs> of horror. Unreal, unreal. You have her nemesis, actually, is one of the characters, actors from a number of John Candy films. Which, but I think Bonnie, are we going to talk about Max von Sydow? Well, no, I was going to give you a chance for Bonnie Bonnie Bedelia Bedelia? since we'll keep the creepery off uh, off mic. Let's speak, yeah. Bonnie Bedelia, she is delightful and she's gorgeous in this movie. And she did had one of the most best scenes and one of the most, like, not heartbreaking, but like. I understand what you're going through. Pain mm-hmm. scenes in this movie with her arth- uh, battle of arthritis, just the pain that she sold it. I was like, God damn, Bonnie Bedelia, you're you're doing really good in this role. So plus, like, she's del- she's lovely. And her scene with one Max von Sydow. And- Max von Sydow getting it down. I'm even mad at that horny old devil. I'm not even mad. What he. Can you call what he's doing in this film chew? This is not chewing. This is not devouring. He's playing. He's he's playing with his food. With- That's what he's doing. He's not chewing the he's not chewing the scenery. He's playing with his food <laughs> before he chews it in the scenery. He's having a ball. I would not be surprised if somebody goes, out of all the shit you've ever done, what's your favorite role? This one. You know what I'm saying? And the fun he gets to have with the role because it's fun. It's shenanigans. This movie is nothing it's but e- it's it's evil. it's it's mean. Oh, it's mean. It, it's it's mean spirited all the way. It's violent. It's it's but it's funny and it's, it's mirthful and it's it and it's mirthful. playful because it's all the devil's game for lack of a better term. And it, it all it starts is with the simple like little prank shenanigan for a baseball card. All shenanigans. All shenanigans. But escalating shenanigans. And all of the free will of the people involved. Because as you say, he is playing this just master Lucifer chess game 
which I just there is. Well, and there's goofiness already and Discord already in the well, town. In Castle Rock, of right? course. Right? Because I mean, it's, it, it's simmering. When it's bad when you have a priest versus a reverend already. This is Stephen King. So you know, he has some he's got things some, to say he's got about some baggage. He's got some baggage. In fact, when he does open up the store, when the devil does open the store, you feel your heart's desires. The priest goes uh, goes up and like, oh look, there's a new chalice that I want to put up because you know, as raised Catholic, we're not supposed to coven golden images, and we're supposed to like not necessarily live the life of poverty, but like we're supposed to like forsake all whatever. And he's like, oh, I kind of want that gold one, right? Meanwhile, the Baptist reverend goes in, and it's nothing but fucking erotica, vintage erotica, right? Fucking all the way back to Mesopotamia, they got fucking. They got Gilgamesh riding a big fucking dog dick. Fucking all sorts of, like, finery and shit. And I love the fact that it's a basic premise. Mm-hmm. This wonderful little... And you, we've probably been into shops like this before. Oh, I know I have. Where thankfully, maybe we've somehow been able to not lose our soul. No, I fucking... I'm sure I've... Like, how many times have I gone into Tumwa? That's true. Just to that one store because I know they got some good shit there. You know, like, oh, I'm just waiting for... You know, but see here, our needful things is going to be more like... Uh, Regular size. <laughs> it's gonna be that the fucking prank shop from Pee Wee's Big Adventure. That's our needful things. <laughs> that's your problem. Is got to sit to evil, you know. So <laughs> well, and Ed Harris as our sheriff. Which this is a classic Ed Harris role, a fairly classic Ed Harris performance, mm-hmm. as I expect the. Authority figure, but a softer side outside of that. And that's what you get. Yeah, it's a great little Ed Harris role. He's not gruff or mean or intimidating. He's not. He's there to protect and yeah. wanting to... Uh, Would you almost say, as Michael Rooker was playing against type, he is not necessarily not playing against type, but just a more subtle approach? No, well, no, because I, I could see him as a old grizzled city cop that wants to come back and just mm-hmm. like I thought of you people were nice. I thought I was leaving the bullshit. He seems like <laughs> he does. He really doesn't want to hurt anybody. He wants to keep the peace, yeah. but he can't just go in blasting on Max von Sydow because he doesn't really have any proof that he's the one doing it. So I could see his predicament. He doesn't want to go. He does. He's being subdued because he needs to, and I think that's what the character shows in this. But it doesn't help that he's surrounded in a town full of goons and cronies and, and funky, funny characters. Again, like Amanda Plummer. And we didn't even talk about the sheriff, uh, his deputy versus Buster, J.T. Walsh. Buster. Fucking Buster Keaton was great. Yeah. Yeah. Now, this one, it, it definitely is a wealth of riches. Now, that being said, as much as we love both these, only one can advance into the next round. So, a uh, genius... Um, Needful Things or The Dark Half, which of the two is closer to your heart? I've always been a fan of Needful Things, and The Dark Half was a wonderful first-time surprise. And so that's where I'm trying to figure out how to put it together, you know? Because for Closer to the Heart, something great... That's the first time or something that I've always liked. But I had such a good time with this rewatch. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to go for Close to the Heart, Needful Things on this one. That's fair. That's fair. And it's Plus always... It's, it's funny. 
I'm always going to go for a little bit of a horror comedy. I had a great time laughing along with the devil's shenanigans. And that's just it. It's always tough to kind of discern and differentiate between a first-time viewing within something that you've seen many, many times. But, and I don't know if it's, it's the TBS connection, but the fact... The baseball, Ted Turner, and me. <laughs> but there's something to be said for the fact that it was appointment television for me to seek out needful things to make sure I've seen it all the way through versus only seeing the bits and pieces that I did pick up of Dark Half. Now, that being said, I'll be coming back to Dark Half quite a bit. In fact, I can't say whether or not I've actually got that Blu-ray on order or not, but uh, it's on the way. But I'm going to have to also go with needful things just because of the fact that from 1 to 4, 1 to 5, whatever it was, and again, between a Braves baseball game or Atlanta Hawks basketball, (laughs) TBS... Oh, it was so good. It was more than the Beastmaster Station. Now, that being said, from the heart to the head, our bracket topic in this case, we have King of Castle Rock. King of Castle Rock. What do we got on that there, genius? Hmm. So here's the thing. So for King of Castle Rock, I'm putting it down in two criteria. Well, one main criteria and then a caveat. So it's both characters, both sheriffs basically it's game down to rooker versus uh, ed harris that's fair now, while this ed harris performance i get it i can see his performance i can see what he's doing it was great to see fucking rooker as like a hero mm-hmm. and like being a, with a lot of shit to say a very conflicted good guy because he's like I should throw your ass in jail, but I've given you the benefit of the doubt. And even when he was pissed off and shit was going south, and he never believed anything until he saw the massive birds. So on that end, I think I'm going to have to go, while Ed Harris is ultimately trying to protect Castle Rock, I think this might, Brooker's interpretation of Alan Panghorn might be a little better one. His character is more well-grounded. And more thought out, more fleshed out with more shit to do for me. At least in my opinion. Even though this is kind of his movie, Ed Harris's movie. But (laughs) what I think seals the deal for me on this one is the fact that this is basically based on Stephen King. His duality, not only trying to kick whatever shit, but trying to go become Richard Bachman. And like even when he's typing his first movie, There Be Tigers, that was his first movie story so i think when it comes to the king of castle rock the fact that it's stephen king i'm gonna have to say that that one's dark half interesting because i kind of took a very similar approach to that as the my initial thought on the bracket breakdown would be involved the sheriffs in this case but no king of the castle rock is perfect and i'm also going to actually go with dark half as well with that because I did put myself in the perspective of which of these is closer to King. And when any time between like this, misery, mm-hmm. where you have... Where he's the prota- stand-in protagonist. Who is closer to King than King, the King. himself? He's the King. the hell out of him. I'm going to do it myself. What's really scary here, Genius, is we have a tie... On this one, which means we got to go to the certain cover of... On the cover of the old thing, gonna buy one copy for my mother. Gonna watch some movies on Shutter. Gonna see my gruesome face on the cover of the old thing, go. Now, both of these films 
did appear on the cover of Fangoria Genius. Oh, shit. However, one got the film treatment, one got the cover treatment, uh-huh. and it's appropriate you talk about a gruesome face, because a face got steadily more gruesome over time. Oh, shit! And by appearing uh, with Timothy uh, George Stark, as it is, on the cover with Darkath, making its way into the round of the Scream 16... We have the dark half. Oh, shit. Okay, so not that I'm like saying, ah, shenanigans, because with this one, I really didn't know which one I was going to do until like we talked about it. But Needful Things, if you have not seen Needful Things, it is funny. It's it's mean. It's it's in the tournament for a reason. It's really, really good. But no. Good job, Dark Half. Indeed, indeed. Now, going into our next bracket topic and our next uh, matchup. <laughs> yeah. Folklore fracas. Yeah, you can't escape it. Mm-mm. The slasher influence. Mm-mm. It's always there. But as with the bracket topic itself, we realize sometimes there's ways you can interpret things. Yeah, so the bracket topic again, what is it? Folklore fracas. <laughs> I'm glad you can you can break that one down. So we have uh, Jason Goes to Hell going up against the Leprechaun. I'm the Leprechaun! Which one do we start with? Let's do the Leprechaun. Let's do the Leprechaun. In fact, we were just watching the evolution of the Leprechaun, not in film... But in pop culture, mm-hmm. as we watched both a bit from Wayne's World 2, involving the Leprechaun, and the original SNL skit. Involving the Leprechaun. That birthed that whole sequence in Wayne's World 2. So when the Leprechaun finds himself I'm itself the leprechaun. on SNL, <laughs> you've made it. Yeah. You've made it where people now can associate. In fact, with Warwick Davis... I mean, I'm glad he's getting the respect and the or, and the do he as because he's fucking great. He's talented. He's, he's the Billy Barty of our generation, and I wish Billy Barty got more love and kudos that. But not only that, he's a great actor. Mm-hmm. I mean, between his character work as Wicked uh, and as Willow and as the Leprechaun, even going down to his like indie horror with Skin Deep and his plates, he's. Always bringing the A game, and he always knows he made a fucking franchise out of this character. Fucking good for him. And it's really funny the fact that we're talking two films one, you know, on its eighth film into the franchise, and one on its first of, I think, seven. Let's see one, two, three, four, and then two hoods, and then a remake, and then a reboot. Man, so. So seven, eight. yeah. Yeah, it's unreal. It's unreal. And. What I love, though, is the fact that we are 30 years ago, back in 1993, and this film, in fact, this entire bracket so far has been a wealth of riches mm-hmm. of character actors mm-hmm. and budding actors, maybe, that are going to be make friends with the, you know, the public, but more importantly, we got... Uh, also, should be noted, uh, uh, Gabe Bartolis designing the Leprechaun. Iconic. Iconic. I, I think he deserves to be on the not necessarily the Mount Rushmore, but the next memorial down from it. You know, of like other slashers, like maybe put Pinhead, put Leprechaun, Candyman. I'll put Bartolis on the uh, same thing for the special effects. I mean, that is the man that gave us Aylmer. So, mm-hmm. we, we, we owe him a lot. But more importantly, with this one, we get. Part of the podcast, the very DNA, um, Francis 
himself. Francis. What is his real name? He's up there, man. Hold on. Up, up. That's right there. Mark Holton. There it is. Mark Holton. My God. Mark Holton. It's Enrico Palazzo. <laughs> <laughs> Mark Holton has that place. Mm-hmm. It's Francis. And I can't. He will not. Not be Francis. Even when Mark Holton went on to play John Wayne Gacy, it's like, look, it's Gacy. Francis. <laughs> Why? Everybody loves a clown. What's just the other day? Right? And so, like, <laughs> so you've had you've got Mark Holton, you've got Jennifer Aniston, who I originally thought she had kind of disavowed this movie. She did for the longest time. But she didn't want to talk, kind of not talk shit on it. Like, uh. But like Warwick Davis was like, hey, I'm proud of it. And then later on, he kind of reached out to her and was like, like I, in fact, he talked like, hey, I'm proud of this movie and we had a good time, right? And she was like, oh, yeah. So now she's not like necessarily like, hey, look, I made Leprechaun. But she's now not like, no, I wasn't going to be great horror. You she know? won't so, deny it at this point. But that's something her character in this movie would do. Well, and it's been a long time since I've watched this. This is one that uh, I caught probably back in the day on VHS Probably watched it again on DVD, and just going into the franchise, I've seen bits. I I understand. I do believe uh, Brian Trenchard Smith did direct Leprechaun in Space. Oh, so exploitation or not, Crikey. This where's is, me gold? This is one of those movies that I just remember the bits and pieces on. So again, rewatching it, I think my favorite parts were probably the fact of. The bits and pieces of actually the characters interacting, including the guy from summer school mm-hmm. that was stripping in the evening, the beefcake in this film, the sleep one. Yeah. So there are scenes in Leprechaun that live rent free in my head consistently. Um, one is him on the pogo. Okay, that's yeah. One is him in his deathmobile. Which one? So many. All of them. All of them. Like, especially the bike. The bike was great. The bike was hilarious. Which I needed, like, an Irish Benny Hill theme on that. Right? And, like, with the fucking lutes and liars and shillelaghs and shit. Right? Um, fuck you, Lucky Charms. His... And Leprechaun eating the Lucky said Lucky Charms. The shoe thing. The shoe thing. Okay. That... So I'd forgotten about that. Names will be withheld to protect the innocent, but Uh-oh. we'll ask Mount Baldy when he gets here. We have a friend of ours, and his dad was um, short and stout, mm-hmm. right, and had red hair, and so we called him the Leprechaun, right? So we're like, oh, is he? We said that he like sneaks in the people's houses in the middle of the night and steals shoes to clean, right? And so like we were always every time he come out like, all right, all right, he wasn't Irish or anything. Right, he was just a little short, redheaded dude. You gotta understand that is their love language. You guys, busting balls is the love language. Right? And so, well, but he's always come out and give us shit. You guys are always going out and doing stuff like shut up or we'll throw shoes at you, right? And then, and so, <laughs> guys are cruel. But then, and so, oh, we were like fifteen, sixteen when the leprechaun came when it out. Came out yep. So <laughs> that thing that tracks. <laughs> and so it's like, where is he going? That's the only thing. Like none of the other. That's one part, and we'll go into the folklore practice later part. But one thing that really stood out about this movie was in, in later iterations, they never incorporated the shoe angle again. They never incorporated the shoe that angle. That is a shame. Right? Because that's golden. If the leprechaun's chasing me, I'll start throwing all sorts of shits and shoes. At. If they were smart and they had that box of shoes, as he was like, ah, they'd just pick them up, dirty them up again, and throw them out of them, buy them more time, you know? 
So well, they should incorporate that more. And then another scene that runs right for you in my head. I don't know if that's good or bad, but the leprechaun like, oh, leg. And he's over there like, and she's like, quit it. <laughs> quit it. Ah! And freaks out because creepy. That would terrify me if somebody's feeling up my leg and then I look down like, oh, shit, it's not. First of all, I don't know who would be feeling up my leg under a car. Well, you're out in the country. She's, again, deprived of mall culture. And then she's like, I can tell when a man's feeling up my leg. Yeah. What? Right? So it's a funny movie, and there's it, parts that live in my head. And it's also, it's on the cusp at this point, a few years away from the Scream, you know, slasher revival. Mm-hmm. And it's basically playing to the audience of the people that are looking for the next Freddy Krueger, yeah. the next Jason. And as you said... it's glee. He's a gleeful killer. He wants me gold. I want me gold. And the fact that he's over there fucking on roller skates and skateboards. I mean, there's even a part where he's like doing the Benny Hill where he's going back and forth with like... You can't catch me. You shoot me. And then he's running around. It's great. I love those kind of killers when it's not... Overtly goofy. So it still gives you the tickle. It still gives me the tickles. It's that is not good. the biggest tickles, but I'm, no, I it, found myself going, <laughs> No, but it's Sensible still, chuckle. It was a worthy rewatch. Absolutely. Plus, I, Francis. I agree. I agree. Now, another one that was a rewatch for both of us. In fact, technically, uh, we did a commentary for it last year over on Patreon, if you're uh, at all interested. But uh, one that is a much-derived... Entry of a beloved franchise. Would you say it's kind of the Halloween 3 of uh, the franchise? Well, it's funny because there's technically multiple entries in this franchise. That can be the Halloween 3? From Roy to Space Jason to multiple Jasons. To where I'm Jason. As we get with Jason Goes to Hell, the final Friday, which... I know who was there on the first day. I was there day fucking one watching in the theater, and I will go to bat for this movie. I enjoyed this movie and always have and always will. I'm also a very big fan of this film. And listen, I also understand why this one is not beloved by many people. Again, people want... Michael Myers, they didn't want Silver Shamrock. People want Jason Voorhees. They don't want fucking The Hidden. No, and well, I was going to say, we have The Hidden for that. We have Shocker right. for that. We have other Come films on, that don't require that. Although, this was nice because, number this one, great. we get Kane Hodder getting to be Kane Hodder. Right. Talking shit on talking himself. Talking shit on himself. Fucking like J. Puck pussy. Like, <laughs> we get aforementioned Creighton Duke by the great Stephen Williams. Goddamn Creighton Duke. Weird, Goddamn Creighton Duke. Weirdo monster hunter. And another person, uh, Rusty Schrimmer. And of course, Leslie, the, the recently passed Leslie Jordan. Mm-hmm. Who was one of all one of the, I know the, the people that you always really loved. With I that love Rusty, uh, Rusty, Leslie Jordan. Yeah. Um. And, and speaking of the Friday Thirteenth Connection, the main guy. Um, Wasn't he on the show? He was on the show. Yeah. He was the main guy on the Friday Thirteenth. The uh, Curious well, Antiques. You know what? I and we again we understand why people don't like this film. Not a lot of Jason. And it's weird. It's super fucking weird. And you're Ooh. expecting Jason, and you're getting like weird incestuously worms you get homoerotic Voorhees you get a shaving right you get all sorts of great weird shit you know what you you know what you get a lot of though 
gore. Lots of gore. And if you watch the director's or the unrated cut... Even more gore. In fact, I would argue one of the top kills in a franchise known for their gruesome kills... That splitting of the couple having the explicit sex. Without the condom? Without. That's what they get. That's what I... You better wrap that rascal. Very much in the... We're, we're getting into the height of the AIDS epidemic, so... Bringing back... Not necessarily bringing back the morality sex equals death, but at the same time, se- unsafe sex can right? equal death. No, you know, it, so... It has its place, but the little bit that we do get of Jason... He is still one of my favorite designs mm-hmm. and a lot of it. The bulbous head, the wispy hair. The wispy hair. And, and, and you know what? The first 20 minutes of that movie is a perfect, like, distilled essence of a Friday the 13th movie. It's, it would drive Siskel and Ebert mad. But also the the damsel in distress, that is the stunt uh, woman from, she is the blonde, uh, the other blonde. Roadhouse. In Roadhouse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Making a... A fine entrance in this. No one's. It's got good kills. I'm telling you the kills. The 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 diner massacre. I Ooh. love the diner massacre. It's a good one. And the body melt. The body melt that rivals almost like almost the reverse Frank from Hellraiser. Yeah, I mean email that was a from cool body melt. Email from RoboCop is a little jealous on that one. And I that think it's like a... the jaw drop that made my jaw drop. And the fact the whole like hard copy presents that took me back. Very particular time. Now, this one definitely has a wealth of riches. It's a reason why we did a commentary on it. Mm-hmm. We only do commentary tracks for movies we love. We gave a lot of mo- lot of love to both of these films, but only one can make it into the next round. So, genius, Jason Goes to Hell or Leprechaun, which of the two are closer to your heart? <laughs> that was a rough sigh right there, my friend. This one is hard. This is probably for closer to the heart. This one is really, really hard because I have so much fond memories of I'm the leprechaun and and all the like you know threatening shoes that my friend's dad and shit you know. But I remember being there, going to Jason goes to hell. I remember a lot of people being pissed and being like, but I remember pleasantly being surprised. I remember how fucking excited and stoked I was at the end of that movie as a 15-year-old genius is sitting there. Next thing you know, they see Freddy's glove pop out of the ground and descend Jason's mask down to hell. I remember that, and I remember almost losing my shit. So that's why it's hard. this one is hard to figure out which one I like. This is why I have mine thought out in advanced. <laughs> I know. I thought I knew what I was going to do, yeah, but then talking, talking about, about that, it, I'm like, eh. Okay, this might change the day of the time, but I'm going to say Jason Goes to Hell. That's, perfect. That's, perfect. That's Jason Goes to Hell. And when I'm looking at this, these are two films. I did not see either of them in the theater, so they were both VHS or DVD rentals, so the nostalgia necessarily isn't there for any of the individual films. So then I kind of went into my nostalgia of the overall franchises. I've seen all of the Friday the 13th. And you've seen like one leprechaun. Maybe a handful. I can, I've seen that way. Here's the thing. I can, I've seen that way my way through the franchise. Oh, I've seen the entire, except for the like last three. And, and I could probably, I've seen my way through that. However, I have a lot of love just for the fact that you can go throughout into the mouth of March Madness when I talk in nostalgia of Friday the 13th. 
It's not so much of the films themselves, but for their placement in the fire station at Stanley, Kansas, that they just kind of stared and taunted me from afar. So no, closer to the heart, I'm also going to go to Jason uh, Goes to Hell. Now that being said, from the heart to the head, looking at our bracket topic, uh, Genius, what is it again? Folklore fracas. <laughs> so we've got fracasing with folklores. How are you breaking that one down, good sir? So um, let's talk about mythology. This is when I think of folklore. So Leprechaun starts out with the mythology, creates, I'm the Leprechaun, and creates the, I want to be gold in the whole character. The But it subsequent series foregoes the um, shoe aspect. That's a shame. I know. And also when it comes to folklore, as you're talking about the franchise, the first one is the best one, aside from Leprechaun in the Hood. I will 100% go that they are equally as worthy as originals. So that one. As for folklore for Jason Goes to Hell, I think this is the one, the canon that people don't acknowledge this is the one they're like you know what no 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 where that none of that happened variant new world whatever it doesn't exist it's no longer canon so for that one i think starting something versus something that people ignore for folklore fracas i'm gonna go with leprechaun i like that breakdown now i i do think that you are establishing a lot with leprechaun the fact that it is an existing folklore legend that exists outside of the horror realm although it can be argued that they are just horror creatures in and of themselves regardless. Mm -hmm. But what I found interesting with Jason Goes to Hell is the fact that they are trying to bring in uh, folklore, mythology to the point where they are inviting a prop from another movie into the film. We have the Necronomicon. And it was all supposed to be canon. We have name drops of Elias Voorhees, the mm -hmm. dad. So you've got, I think, uh, in fact, the fact that they are incorporating all of Jason's carnage into their menu at the local diner. That can't help but give itself a little bit of folklore in the fracas. So my vote goes for uh, Jason Goes to Hell, which means slashing its way into the round of the Scream 16. Ah, uh, no longer the leprechaun. <laughs> I guess the luck of the Irish wasn't with uh, the leprechaun today. No gold needed, no shoes needed. So that brings us to our last <laughs> matchup and our last bracket topic. And this is one that I we we said it takes a little bit of a explanation. So what is the bracket topic genius? Waxworks. Would you like a closer look? Would As you we like are, a Warner look? There it is. As we are going to be taking in two anthologies and I'm glad we're closing out 1993 with two anthologies because Love anthologies. Go to I it's probably great. the one of the first ten episodes we talked about Creep Show because uh -huh. we both love anthologies, yeah. and the fact that we, I know I was going to be watching an anthology for the first time and getting to then go back to a beloved anthology. Yeah, a new one and an old favorite. We all win. But yeah, this one I've seen a long time ago, but it's haven't seen it since. So we have Necronomicon and the Book of the Dead going up against John Carpenter's Body Bags. Everybody, I'm back. Which one shall we delve into first? Let's go talk about body bags. Oh, body bags! Which sanguine artist gratis when he shows up in the as like the MGM line with the chainsaw? Love it, blood for art's sake. Is that what that is? Mm -hmm. And you want to talk about starting and setting the tone of what you are about to experience? 
John Carpenter Having as fun. Ta-ra. John. So let's start there. John Carpenter having fun. As our crypt keeper. Fucking right. I could have used so many more of these because as you mentioned. It was a uh, broken pilot. It was supposed to be Showtime's Tales from mm-hmm. the Crypt. It was all going to be John Carpenter, all of his buddies making like Tales from the Crypt shit, but it didn't get picked up. Which is a shame because. It would have been gro- great. It would have been golden. I would have loved to see. John Carpenter, hey, I'm going to just do this and play video games and get high and talk about scary shit. Absolutely. And the fact that he's having fun, the direction is classic Carpenter, Mm -hmm. and he's inviting, you talk about his director friends, he's also inviting all of his other His his Carpenter players. And that was probably my initial... So many Rick Dalton moments in this movie. I mean, tip to top. I mean, I was over there like, whoa, it's Peter Jason. Peter Jason. It's David Naughton. Whoa, it's Sam Raimi. Whoa, it's Wes Craven. Whoa, Buck Flowers. Uh, Whoa, David Carradine. Whoa, I mean, I'm just going off. And that's the first thing. Whoa, David Harry, Debbie Harry. Whoa, Sergeant Sudanko. Whoa, David Warner. Whoa, Sheena Easton. Whoa, Mark Hamill. Whoa, Twiggy. Whoa, uh, Charles uh, Fleischer. Whoa, man. You know, it's just like, holy shit. It's unreal. It's (laughs) unreal. And that's practically all of your Carpenter players. (laughs) And And then some. And, and that's uh, fucking Mark Hamill. Oh, Mark Hamill. Well, you get three tales of terror along with the wraparound. And it's interesting because you kind of, a lot of mirth in all of them, but they're kind of a sandwich. Mm-hmm. As the bread is very much kind of the more terror suspense pieces. Serious, goofy, serious. Yeah, it works really well. So, um... I don't know, you know, shall we just go through all three of them? Shall yeah, we, we just... can do a real quick, like, not yeah. run for okay. roll count. The first one, which, where we have. Our slasher. That whole moment feel of. shout out by name. It's unreal. Buck Flowers. And you need to use your bathroom, man, if I use your commode. <laughs> but the problem is, for me, it's, it's Robert Carradine, because I most am familiar and will always associate him as Louis Skolnick, from Revenge of the Nerds. Well, he's already a rapist, and the murder's just a step ahead. Exactly. I, I this mean, is, this is what happened after. You know, this, he's probably at the Lambda, 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 Haddonfield chapter. It's horrid. And his performance, actually, is next level. In fact, I will say this. The comeuppance of our killer, because it's kind of a red herring until it's was not. great. Was it not great? It was great. The Tarantino was like, hey, man, the only thing that would make that better would be feet. Right? So it was wonderful. I really dug that aspect of it. And just even... It's like he was taken down by a werewolf. (laughs) The American man's crushed that dude underneath the axle. (laughs) (laughs) And honestly, I love also the perspective of the character Mm -hmm. and just the the nerves of that first time. I can understand, because she was killing it, because that was scary. And the fact that, like, one, you already have Hobo Buck Flower... Looming around. Yep. Two, you have Wes Craven being a hundred percent creep. <laughs> he is on the next level. A hundred percent creep. <clears throat> and then all of a sudden, like you have Peter Jason rolling up with his wife having I a ball. Did, I'm shocked he didn't break down to his little harmonica <laughs> thing that he, that Peter Jason does. He was does. just too ready to rock and roll and party. It's, he was it's, on his way. He goes, "Hey, we're gonna go have a ball." It was perfect. It was perfect. Well, then that gets us to our second tale of terror, and this is the one. Sergeant Sedenko is Sheila Easton as a bald man. This was great. This was, 
this was coming up along with the Robert Forrester. I'm a little sensitive about my hair. That's just it. Had you, Robert Forrester would have been a perfect understudy for this one because, listen, as someone that is also, you know, getting more five head than four at this point, sensitive with hair. Now, you, my friend, you could have been the model this thing was based on of. No, I, no. Greg Nicotero was one of the models. Because seriously, he was one of the guys walking the dog. Yeah, yeah it, was. it was Greg Nicotero when he's over there. First of all, that's right, yeah. If he, if Sergeant Sedanko is lucky enough to be in cahoots with uh, Sheena Easton, then he should be fine with his hair. I understand what he's talking about, where you want to look at your best and you feel your best. But as Sheena Easton said, be lucky with what you have. Because Sheena Easton was wonderful and delightful in this one. And. He was very vain. And then again, this and is a morality yep, tale. Yep. Your comeuppance. And it, man, the comeuppance in this. Okay, let's just say this. His hair is fine. No, when he gets his hair, when he gets his hair, when he does that little reveal, mm-hmm. I was waiting for him to look in the mirror and say, when well, I'm going to go to Hollywood and say, hey, Sergeant Sedanko, get over here. There's a whole bunch of women in L.A. ready to rub that hair right between their legs. We're going to make you a movie star. Oh. He's over there, Sergeant Sedanko's like, he's over there with his truck driving down uh, Australia Outback with his hair billowing in the wind. This hair's going to get me paid and laid. And the problem is we just recently watched Road Games for the first time, so the Stacey Keach connection here was wonderful, and it just made me appreciate him that much more because he's a fun actor. He is, he is someone that <laughs> understands the assignment Great. with what they're going and, and the, he's so eloquent in his delivery. He's just so like he's, very poetic-y speech. I love it. I love no, it's great. Keith. But the the, the hair thing, the <laughs> that come up and polish when he puts that shoe polish, he kisses him, and he's got that lit. It, this one gave me a giggle, but it also I again I understand where he was coming from because as we both have um, facial hair, mm-hmm. we both have hair in our mouth, and so when that whole feeling of like oh. in the back of the throat that <clears throat> is a very vicious and that is a very visceral yep. gag it is ridiculous but then david warner showing david up, warner which second part of an anthology second segment will remember that and his whole bit what you find out with the hair he's not only a client but he's also the president he's our size sperling he of is the, of, of what we've got going on at body bags no this one was a lot of fun but ultimately very wicked and kind of rough. Debbie Harry, funny, sexy. Yes, yes. And then going into the last segment with Luke Skywalker, Mark Hamill, and I love Mark Hamill. I fashion, fucking love Mark Hamill. Fashion icon Twiggy, Twiggy. Weirdly enough. Right. And this one definitely lets him play against character. And Roger Corman. And Roger Corman. Who, of course, would be someone that would be behind something along this. <laughs> yes. This is a very... Um, Missing body part, body part takes over said body or mind. Like, uh, we've seen it, they did it in the VHS, <clears throat> they did it for a while, but this is a really good retelling of a eye. And this is the one I believe that to- Tobey Hooper directed. Mm-hmm. Baby doesn't, baby doesn't smoke. Psh. This yeah. one's fucked up. Do you remember the tapes when the reason why? Because he was trying to reach for his big old box of tapes to put in the car. Mm hmm. Okay, yeah. careful. Keep your eye on the road. It's 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 a nice slow build up, and it definitely is one of those that I think most people remember with the eye trauma. But I wasn't expecting a nude Mark Hamill oh. sexual assault scene. 
I was not ready for that. Come for the John Carpenter shenanigans. Don't stay, stay. for the yeah. the Luke Skywalker ass. Bow out by that point. No, but this one definitely was a nice rewatch. I gotta finish digging your grave. I love Evil He's- Mark Hamill. Mark Evil Mark Hamill voice is wonderful when did batman the animated series start 92 you can feel so, that yes yeah. in the voice now this one was definitely a nice voice and again they all coalesce with appearance by toby huber at the very end and as well tom arnold and tom arnold it was uh so These guys crack me up shout factory release a lot of love scream factory i should say um now that being said from a film that is very easily accessible to an anthology that you have to look for the Book of the Dead. You do. To summon this one. You do. You have to go to, to ancient Kandaria. Thankfully, you have a VCR and a VHS player. <laughs> yes. As we were able to take in Necronomicon Book of the Dead, this was the first time viewing for me. Yeah? Yes. I haven't seen this one since. I mean, I had to dig out the VHS and dig out the, uh, the coax cables. It's been since there but i remember seeing this and going this movie is fucking dope but i haven't seen it since at least 97 so like maybe it, a couple of years after it came out so much like carnosaur this is also the first time good god damn this movie is crazy this movie is wild this movie is squidly diddly well much like we had in in fact, again, all of our films this year, the Rick Dalton moments. Oh, holy shit. Whoa, it's Jeffrey Combs. Whoa, it's Richard Lynch. Hey, whoa, David Warner. Whoa, again. it's David Warner. Exactly. We've got Don Calfa showing up in this. Yeah, Don Calfa. It's another wealth of... And then it was not even behind the scenes. Like, whoa, it's John oh. Carl Buechler. Whoa, it's Brian Usna. Uh-oh. Whoa, it's Screaming Mad George. Oh, no. Oh, no. Another killer collaboration. And then who's the other director that was in there? It was... Christopher, Christoph Gans, mm-hmm. who gave us Brotherhood of the Wolf, which participated. Yes, because Brotherhood of the Wolf is slick. And then Shusuke Kaniko did The Cold. I'm not familiar with his work, but that was the one that actually gave us... The Richard Lynch one? No, that's the melting one. That's the oh. David Warner one. That's that melt. That's the Screaming Mad George work. Of course. This one. Th- and even the wraparound. Holy oh. shit. Yeah, and Yuzna did the wraparound in the last one. And there was, which it's not shocking because it's Lovecraft. Right, but the Yuzna players. But we've got Squidly Diddly up in this piece. I'm surprised Stuart Gordon wasn't. Isn't Stuart, is Stuart Gordon a producer or something? I can't remember on that side. Um, if not, the, the presence is felt. But uh, Jeffrey Combs is kind of our John Carpenter in terms of the wraparound. Playing Howard Philip Lovecraft, and I think he did a stellar job. He's wonderful, and in fact, I, at that point, he's kind of got his old man makeup on. Mm-hmm. Striking resemblance to Bruce Campbell. Yeah, a he little does. bit. We missed out on having Bruce Campbell and Jeffrey Combs go on solving supernatural shenanigans. Oh, I would have bought into that one so big. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I would love to see them going fighting demons and shit. But we've and got elder gods. Much like in Jurassic Park, we've got a nice melding of CGI and practical in this film. Very well done At for a, a low lower... budget, like direct to DVD, and everything is wet in this movie. Oh wow! This is very, it's, it's it's Lovecraft. We're in love. Yuzna. We are full in Lovecraft County and Usenham Town, and so this is it's going to get gooey. There's going to be a lot of KY all over the place. Well, the fact that that the the with the first segment, 
we get the The Drowned. Which is where we get the... Richard Lynch School of Goolery. And welcome back, Richard Lynch. It's always a pleasure. And you throw him with Lovecraft, you throw him... Let's do it. And between him and the guy that eventually played the warlock, who I thought was quite good in this... Mm-hmm. But this is where you do get the squiddly diddly. This is where you get the giant monster. This is which where I you really get, dug. Yeah, this is where you get the weird where the squiddly diddly comes out of the kid's mouth and tries to pull you in, and then where you actually see like the an elder god, like a full fucking scale elder god, and actually almost there was almost real squiddly diddly because when she's like, "Oh, come with me," and she was all tentacled out, nude with the seaweed and stuff. Deal breaker? No, not a deal breaker. Fucking deal sealer. But then when she gets turned into the back to the Cthulhu monster. But even before the Cthulhu monster, the giant one, when the priest of the elder god comes to Richard Lynch and like after he forsakens God and brings him the Necronomicon, the look and the design of that creature was really, really cool. All practical. Even the giant Cthulhu is practical. Uh, this is 1993, so we definitely have that in-camera trickery. And for a low budget, it was impressive. Mm-hmm. And everything built to the final reveal, where in the first one, it's definitely the giant Lovecraftian monster, the Cthulhu kind of thing. The squiddly diddly mouth, everything. To the second one, which is where we have Welcome Back, David Warner. Yes. And his whole build-up to this one, again, is more of a slow burn. But let's just say a character melts in this one. And it's an all-timer. It is a great melting scene. We, this year, we had a lot of melters. We had from a Jason lot of goes good to melting. Hell to this one. A lot of good melting. Looking back, there's a number of different like bracket topics we could we have put it together. We should have done this and Jason goes to Hell with the Necronomicon and body melting. Exactly. Madness. Too many Venn diagrams. You are not kidding. We're going to be more well-researched next year. But we get to this build-up, this crazy, mad, melting man. <laughs> really well done. And, like, and multiple well. violent scenes in this one. It really worked for me. And then the third one, where we get the Don Kalfa coming back, which I think... With a haunting, weird... Oh. The creature design was otherworldly. It looked bizarre, and but what it does yes, yeah. and what it did it drinks the bone marrow from your bones it's unsettling. like a fucking milkshake which lovecraft is supposed to be unsettling mm-hmm. i was unsettled yeah good job necronomicon book of the dead and then we're not even done at the post wraparound there's that there's that one uh squiddly diddly coming after jeffrey combs yep there's that guy when he turns squeeze in. squeezes in there's the jeffrey combs when he pulls the face off of that dude dude when he pulls the skin and the guy was still alive he goes like you can't win and defeat us ah it was really well done. Again, we have a great collaboration of people that work well together. They appreciate and honor what they're coming from. Again, Lovecraft was a garbage person but made great horror. So yeah. you put that together, you get a great anthology. So obviously, a lot of love given on both of these anthologies, but only one can go forward to the next round. So Genius McGee... Uh, let's see here. We've got Necronomicon, Book of the Dead, or Body Bags. Which of the two are closer to your heart? I've seen Body Bags significantly more times than I've seen Necronomicon. But I was... I... 
I really enjoy body bags. I've loved body bags from day one. And I, but I remember seeing Necronomicon and being, this movie is fucking cool, but I haven't seen it since. And I don't know why I haven't seen it since. I don't know because it was lack of availability. There it is. You know, because I had to like literally had to pull out the old VCR to break and find that fucking thing. <laughs> right. So maybe just because that's why I've seen it more. But if I was able to see it more often, I would be singing its fucking praises through the rooftops and like probably a thousand fetishes. Um, so I'm gonna say Necronomicon. That's fair. That is fair. And this is a, again looking at one that I am familiar with versus one that is a first timer. It is tough to differentiate. However, I'm looking at the overall feel of warmth that I get, whether in a first-time viewing, you can feel that that warm embrace based on the people involved, mm-hmm. based on the Rick Dalton moments that you're having, and also based on having it being a good viewing experience because you know, ideally, you're going to go back to it. Right. And even though uh, with body bags, you do have the Blu-ray, Necronomicon, I know, is tough to, is tough to watch, but yeah, if I'm going to go closer to the heart, I'm sorry, one has buck flower, one doesn't. I will give you that. I will 100%. That's, that's, that's closer to my heart because I knew going in we'd get to hear him. And quite honestly, that's with true. you. I'm surprised I didn't go with close to the heart. You know what? Can I pull them all again? I'm going to go with the close to the heart. I got to go Buck. I got to go with my boy Buck. <laughs> so I'm switching my answer. I'm pulling it. I'm putting it in asterisk. This the, this will be the mouth march madness with the asterisks on right. it. Right. I got to go because uh, it's got, and it's JC. I got to get love to JC and Buck Flowers. It is so JC. I'm going to go close to the heart. And yeah, because I have seen it more often. So yeah, I'm good. If, if, if that counts, that body totally bags. Counts. That totally counts. Body bags. It doesn't really matter, but it's all, but it's our thing. Um, now, for, now the- for the bracket, for David Warner, any movie that has a David Warner sex scene and any movie that's going to have David Warner melt into goo has got my vote. So I'm going to go with Necronomicon. Because while he is the villain, the, the main alien leader of the hair guy, yeah. he just really doesn't like, yeah. This one, he straight on bangs this chick and then melts. So <laughs> so I'm going to go for that. I would like a closer look, sir. I, that's just it. Of the two characters he's portraying in both of these segments, if I would like a wanna look, with our size spearling, at least if anything I know, I'm going to get my Buffon back and a little bit of my Pompadour before uh-huh. my brains are eventually eaten or whatever it is. I think it is the brain that they are feasting upon versus being a fly on the wall and getting to see, you know, the the epitome of evil, Jack the Ripper, you know, the waxwork man himself getting getting down. It's weird. I wasn't anticipating that, which... Of course, it's Lovecraft. It's going right. to be oddly sexual be in many ways. Yeah. Wasn't anticipating that. So, of the two that if I'd like a a wanna look, I'm actually going to go with Necronomicon as well, which means on, we got a tie on the cover of the old Fango. And on the cover of the old Fango, only one appeared, genius, and it was on the cover, not on the film, which means. Getting gooey, gory, and wet into the round of the Scream 16, we have Necronomicon, Book of the Dead. Which means here on Friday, you're going to hear our matchup in the round of the Scream 16. We have Jurassic Park going up against the Dark Half. And then we have Jason Goes to Hell going up against 
Necronomicon. Wow. I can appreciate that now. <laughs> oh, I, they both are ooey gooey. They are ooey and gooey. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Now, that being said, uh, next Friday, you're going to hear a few of our uh, favorite people coming in to mm-hmm. join the madness. Uh, in fact, I don't haven't recorded yet, so I don't want to jinx on who they are, but um, we got a num- number of familiar faces coming back. So until this Friday, this is Greg D. I'm Genius McGee. And we'll see you in your dreams. Oh,